We're closing out our series this morning that we have devoted to growing in our love for God and for delighting and taking joy in His Word and and to really give ourselves to the reading and memorization and study uh, and application of the Word of God because we want to be changed by it. You know, I know many in, in this room come from uh, a similar background and expressions of the church that, that I come from. And, and, and many of you know the deep concern I have as a pastor, as a minister of the Word of God, uh, for the low view of Scripture that so many believers have. We talked about that in the opening of our series as we looked at different surveys about uh, the state of believers in our country, in our world, as it relates to reading the scriptures, knowing the scriptures. Well, we've looked in the past the Ligonier State of Theology uh, survey and, and, and how disheartening it is to read uh, that most people don't believe God's word to be completely true. They believe some things in God's word are myth or that not everything in God's word is inspired and infallible and inerrant. Uh, And that's disturbing to me. And in the low low view of scripture backgrounds I come from where really the highest value is placed on subjective personal experience. Like through things like hearing God's voice personally for yourself, or dreams and visions or prophetic words, and that has a a greater value than what is seen as an inferior way of God communicating to us, and that is speaking to us through His Word. And and it's always, for me, been just one of those things when I I hear those things said, and it's not always explicitly stated that way, but when so much emphasis is in on what they consider supernatural experiences of hearing from God versus the ordinary means God has given us to actually know Him and to be changed and to grow in Him. And that's through His Scripture. So our aim always here has been to have a high view of Scripture. Where God's word is central to our life, it's central to our gathering. It is, it is what we build around. It is the standard for faith and life and practice. And to that end, we've kind of dove into this series where we can't possibly cover every aspect or element of what it means to study God's word. I just wanted you to get started if you haven't done that already. And it's been encouraging to hear how many of you have been doing just that. So I I do praise God for doing that. Through our series, we have emphasized several characteristics of God's word. We've talked about scripture's inspiration, scripture's infallibility, inerrancy, its authoritativeness, its unity. We've talked about the sufficiency of, of scripture but but I want to close this series out by highlighting one last characteristic of the word of God that I believe is essential for us if we're going to grow in our love for God's word and take joy and delight in the scripture and that is scripture's efficacy scripture's efficacy we'll explain that in a few moments if you've ever questioned uh, what value is there in really reading God's Word and studying it and memorizing it and applying it. What, what does God's Word actually do when I read it? What, what does God's Word actually do in my life as a follower of Jesus Christ? And that's what we're going to explore this morning. That's what we're going to dive into today. So if you're there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we're going to look at one verse here in Paul's letter to the, to the believers at, at the church in Thessalonica. He writes this, Hear the words of the Lord. And we also 
Thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is that work in you believers. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as you read this particular verse of scripture in Paul's letter, Paul's writing a a wonderfully encouraging letter to these believers to to strengthen them, to exhort them to continue in their faith. I mean, he raves uh, in so many areas concerning this church. But here you see that he is acknowledging that they are persisting, they are continuing, they are the, the, the faith is growing in their life. And here he's acknowledging something very important in what he writes. He's acknowledging his apostolic authority. For the words he spoke to them, the teaching he brought to them, what he proclaimed to them is the authoritative word of God. That word he transmitted to them was God's very words. And here's the important thing. He says they received them as they were, the very words of God. Those words he proclaimed was the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. Just read a few verses uh, before this verse in 2, in verse 8, and verse 9. That's what he's talking about. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And they received what they heard from Paul as God's very words. They recognized they were of divine origin. They didn't come from a mere mortal. Even though they were coming from Paul as the human mouthpiece, they received those words as if God was speaking to them. And that's so important, especially in the day and age where most people don't really think of God's word as that really being the words of God. They don't understand divine inspiration. They don't understand how God worked through human writers to bring about this message, his revelation for all of us through inspired and errant scripture. They recognized it was something supernatural. And Paul says that because they received that as the word of God, that that the word of God now was presently at work in these believers. And that's the question I want us to look at today. How does God's word work in us? Because he's saying it's at work. It's at work in those who believe, some of your translations say. For if our aim is to grow in our knowledge And love for God's word and his word to become the joy and delight of our heart. It's necessary for you and I to know how does it work? What does it do in our lives? What does it do? And that's where we come to the efficacy of God's word. Now that word efficacy, if you're not familiar with it, simply means something having the power to produce its intended effect or result. That's what we mean when we say something is efficacious. It's actually doing what it was intended to do. Or it's producing exactly what it was intended to produce. When we want to evaluate the efficacy of a, uh, a particular medical treatment, let's say. Or a particular drug. What do we mean by that? We want to know, is it actually doing what they said it was going to do? So... If you're immunized with a vaccine, what does that mean? You're immune. 
to the particular disease you're being immunized against. You won't get it. Like, that's how we would judge its efficacy, unlike some random thing that's happening in our world today, right? Which is not efficacious. When we want to evaluate the efficacy, let's say, of a particular policy that's being implemented, how do we know it's efficacious? How do we know it's producing what it's supposed to do? Well, we can look at its effects, its results, and go, ah, that policy was meant to do X, and X is exactly what's happening. In years back, right, they did a massive study before it was mandatory for you to wear your seatbelt when you're driving. And I know some of us don't like seatbelts. They ruin your shirt, right? They wrinkle your shirt. But if we say, let's evaluate the efficacy of seatbelt use, well, how do we know it's efficacious? Less people die, right? Injuries are reduced because people are wearing their seatbelt. That's what we mean by efficacy. But when we say that Scripture is efficacious, or we speak of Scripture's efficacy, what we mean is that God's Word is powerful enough to do exactly and actually what God intended for it to do. In that way, Scripture is efficacious. Now look at the verb that Paul uses in the verse we just looked at in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says God's God's Word is at work. Is at work is our verb in that particular sentence. Remember, we're examining these kind of things when we're studying Scripture. That particular verb that we translate is at work in edigatai in the Greek, right? That phrase that's translated that way is in the present tense. So that means it's something that's happening right now. And not just happening right now, it actually is a continuing action with no end. And that's important because he didn't say God's word when I preached it to you worked in you. It was at work because you're saved and cool. No, he says it's now working in you. That phrase, that verb translated is at work means it's operative. It's active. It's effective. It has powerful effects. That's huge. Paul uses this same word two other times when he's referring to God's power working in him, or God's power working in us and believers. We see that in Ephesians 3.20 where he says, according to the power, he's talking about God's power, at work in us, operating in believers. He speaks of it also of himself in Colossians 1.29 where he says he's struggling with all his energy that he, God, powerfully works within me. Same verb. God is actively at work through his power in the life of believers. And he's saying the very same thing about the word of God. It is presently at work doing what God intended it for it to do in the life of all who believe. God's word is at work. God's word is presently having powerful effects operating in, active in the life of every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's the efficacy of Scripture. One of the clearest declarations of Scripture's efficacy is found in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, verses 10 through 11. Listen to this. For as the rain, and this is a familiar passage, but as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. 
It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and look, shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. How powerful is that? Look at the imagery. He, he blows up here a little bit. Think about rain coming down, watering the earth. The power that that has to do what? Nourish the earth. To what? Produce life. For what purpose? To nourish all of humanity. Just like rain and water that comes down the earth and is efficacious in doing what it is intended for do. Why? Because it is God who created the hydrologic cycle, right? God who said that rain would come upon the earth to water the ground so that it would produce. He said, just like that. That's what my word does. My word has that power. My word accomplishes that which I purpose for it to do. If you have any lingering doubt about the power of God's word, like this passage should kind of remove all of that. God's word is effective. It's one of the reasons I have confidence and assurance when I preach. That God's word, actually when it goes out, does what it says he's going to do. Otherwise, I wouldn't even waste my time because I wouldn't be sure. Maybe I'd be better off at the beach. No, I know, no, of course not. (laughs) I have confidence that God's word does what he says it's supposed to do. So that isn't on me to make it do something because I can't. It isn't on you to produce something. Oh, I know there's some little streams out there that says your words have creative power. Your words, just speak it out there and you can frame your world and create your environment. You can't do any of that. You know why? Because you're not God. Yes, that's the answer. You're not God. But he says his word does that. His word produces, his word accomplishes, his word is productive, his word is effective. It succeeds in what God has sent it to do. Praise God for that. We've already established that God's word is of divine origin, supernatural origin. And you and I can purpose to do something. We can say we're going to do something, we can purpose to do something. Sometimes we hit it, many times we don't. A couple of years ago, I purposed to go back to school. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish. I'm going to pursue this, this line of study. And then I discovered, I hate doing research papers. <laughs> so I stopped. I couldn't will myself to do that. What I spoke and what I purposed, I couldn't do. And we do that in many areas of life. There's a lot of things we say we want to do and purpose to do and set out to do. And unfortunately, many times we are incapable of producing the intended or desired result that we had. But guess what? God has none of those limitations. None. None whatsoever. Right? That's not the case with him. He has a 100% success ratio. I don't know what the return on your portfolio or investments are. But God has an infinite return ratio. Everything he says he's going to do happens. Everything he has set out to accomplish as his word has gone forth comes to pass. It succeeds. It is guaranteed to produce that which God intended for it to produce. What does God 
ever purpose that he cannot bring about? What is our almighty God determined to accomplish that he cannot cause to succeed? Everything, everything he's spoken, he tells us here, every word that's proceeded from his mouth has never returned to him empty. When we talked about the inspiration of Scripture, it's what we talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God, expelled from the very lungs of God. It is His Word, and whatever He's expelled and purposed happens. It happens. It is efficacious. And Scripture testifies concerning this. God's Word uh, is likened to a variety of things. We've already looked at one of them, but it's likened to a variety of things that are active and effective and productive. We already saw the rain and snow there in Isaiah 55. But in Jeremiah, God likens his word to fire that consumes wood. Well, I'd say fire is pretty effective in doing what it's supposed to do. And he said, my word's like fire that consumes. He likens his word also in Jeremiah to a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. You take a sledgehammer to a brick, to concrete, to rock, to a wall, to someone's head. Don't recommend that last one. What is it? It does what it's supposed to do. It breaks things apart. God likens his word to a seed that is sown on good soil. We read in the Gospels. And what does it do? That seed produces. It produces 30, 60, or 100 fold. God's word is likened to a two-edged sword in Hebrews chapter 4. All of these images evoke the effectiveness of those things to produce some result. Consuming and breaking, growing, penetrating, cutting. Those objects produce that. And those results are the effects of the purpose for which those objects were intended. And God's saying, my word is like that because my word has a purpose. And God will always accomplish what he has sent his word out to do. We've already glimpsed at the reality of God's creative word. Created everything that is out of nothing. What he spoke in Genesis that we read there. He spoke into existence. With the very creative force of his will and his word. That's how powerful the word of God is. We see that in Hebrews eleven three. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Powerful. God's word works. God's word works in you. It's living. It's active. It's powerful. It's productive. It is dynamic. It's effective. Everything God intended for his word to do. It does. Are you convinced of that? Are you convinced of the efficacy of God's word? When you read his word, when you study it, when you approach it, do you have that in mind? That God's word can do exactly what he says it can do. That it can produce exactly what he says it can produce. That it'll accomplish exactly what he said it would accomplish. Do you believe that? Do you approach God's word that way? I promise you, when you come to his word this way, you will grow to love and appreciate the word of God when you see it at work in your life this way. When you see how God said this, that's exactly what's happening. 
That's exactly what he's doing in me. So how does God's word work at us? I want us to take just a few minutes to survey. I'm going to give you nine, but nine things regarding God's word. And and, and to answer our question, how does God's word work in you? Now, there's a whole lot. We're just going to do nine. Praise God. We'd be here a while. All right. But we're going to go briefly through these because I just I just want to exhort you this morning to come to God's word with that expectancy that God's word works in you. It's not some mystical thing. It's that the voice of God, the words of God can accomplish what he purposed for them to do. That's what you have when you come to scripture. So let's begin to look at these nine ways God's word works in you. The first is this. God's word works in you to produce genuine faith. You know Romans ten seventeen, familiar passage. So faith comes by what? Hearing. And where does that hearing come through? Through the word of Christ. When you read God's word, when you hear God's word... As a believer, it produces faith in you. This is why it's important to sit under the ministry of God's word. This is why it's important to be continually reading and absorbing and having a steady diet and intake of God's word because it builds your faith. It produces genuine faith. By the power of God's spirit, it does this. John, writing his gospel, closes it by telling us his purpose for writing. Scripture, John 20, 31, but these are written so that you what? May believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God's word was given to us so that we can believe, so that we can express faith, so that faith can be built up in us. It's not the only means by which God produces it, but it's the primary means by which he produces faith In the life of believers. The second. God's word works in you. To regenerate. And convert your heart. This is critical and important. God's word repeatedly. Tells us over and over again. That our salvation is contingent. Upon the means he established. Of you hearing the proclamation. Of the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've ever had the question, I wonder if someone can get saved without ever hearing the gospel. What's the answer? No. No. James 1.18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by what? The word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. We talked about a little bit about this passage a couple weeks ago. 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through what? The living and abiding word of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul in Romans 1 says what? He's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. We're saved by hearing the proclaimed good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we know. God works through it to produce faith in us. God works in us through his word. He regenerates us by the power of his spirit and converts us and converts our heart. God works through the foolishness of preaching the gospel to bring these things about. 
And that is amazing in and of itself when you think about it. How God gets the credit and the glory and no man can boast in their salvation because God uses the foolish thing of somebody speaking words and God does this amazing work in the hearts of people to change in them, to convert them and that they be born again. This is why God uses us, right, in the foolishness of our preaching the good news everywhere, not just someone up front here, but every single one of us as a means that he has ordained for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You must preach the gospel. It's not just good deeds that are going to convert anybody. In fact, your testimony, as amazing as it is, is not the gospel. You should share it. You should incorporate that in your presentation of the gospel and how you communicate the gospel. But it's not the gospel. His words, the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ is what converts sinners. When they hear of their condition before God. When they hear of how they have rebelled and transgressed his law. And when they hear about what God has done to remedy that situation and that condition through the work of Jesus Christ. So we must proclaim it and God's word works in you to do these things. When you preach them, God's word is at work in the lives of those people. Not in and of itself because it's the spirit energizing, it's the spirit working, it's the power of God's spirit using his word to do these things. God's word works in you to regenerate and convert your heart. Thirdly, God's word works in you to sanctify you and grow you in godliness. And we've spent a little bit of time talking about this in our series. Jesus praying to the Father in John chapter 17, 17. His prayer is is for the Father to sanctify his disciples in the truth. And he declares his word is truth. His word is truth and his word sanctifies 1 Peter chapter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. You and I, brothers and sisters, need the continual nourishment of the word of God like a newborn infant. We have one here somewhere today. We've got a couple of them. We've got one baking right now as well that I know of. You know, know, right? Crave, desire, long for to be fed and nourished. How much do you and I need God's word to cleanse us, to work in us, to conform us more and more to Jesus? How will you know what God wants from you or what God wants to do in you if you're not in his word? If you neglect it. Your spiritual growth is directly related to your intake and application of God's word. You're not saved by it that way. It's not a work we engage in to be saved. But be sure that your growth in godliness and that your maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ is dependent on you having intake of what God has given us, the revelation of his word. Otherwise, you're going to be a spiritually anemic, a spiritually stunted believer, of which there are tons of them all over the place. I'm not looking at anyone specifically in here. Stop looking around. (laughs) We don't want to be that. 
We don't want a believer who, be a believer who doesn't feed on God's word and isn't nourished by God's word. We want to feast upon it because we know he has set this beautiful table of, of riches and treasures before us in his word. Fourth, God's word works in you to search your heart and convict you. Oh, boy. This is the, the surgical work uh, of his word. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing exposes you like God's word. Nothing can really examine you x-ray you do this kind of work like God's word I think we've all experienced right a moment where we're in God's word and it's like it shines a light into one of those dark recesses of our heart where there's still that streak of rebellion and waywardness and fleshliness and sinfulness and God's word lays that bare it's exposed for us to deal with to be brought to the light to confess and to repent and to look to Christ. God's word does that. And as we love God's word, as we're in God's word, God's word is going to do that work in us because God uses it to expose those things and to convict us. Again, this is part of sanctification here. Many times we can't even discern issues of our heart. And we don't really know what's going on and then we turn to his word. And his word shows us exactly what's going on there. Our motives, our intents have been laid bare. And they're exposed for us to deal with. To do business with God in because he loves us. And he uses his word to do that. Fifth, God's word works in you so that you can walk in freedom and overcome temptation. In John's Gospel, the 8th verse, 31 through 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, here's a direct link Jesus is, 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 is showing us here between abiding in his word, remaining in his word, believing his word, having that intake of his word, and what? This ability here to overcome the enemy. To walk in the freedom of the truth that God's word brings to us. His word is truth. And if you abide in his word, in the word of truth, when the temptation comes, you, you have a weapon to wield to help overcome the word. I don't know how you can do that apart from God's word and knowing God's word. John writing also again here in 1 John 2.14. He says, I write to you young men because you're strong. The reason they're strong, and he says that they have some type of strength, is what? The word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. There's a, a causation here. There's a correlation that he's expressing here. of Being in God's word, abiding God's word, knowing God's word, having God's word in you, so that you can resist. So that you can overcome temptation. Think about the pattern of our very Lord in his incarnation. When he was tempted by the evil one in the wilderness. What did he do? What was his weapon? It is written. 
It is written. It is written. You don't see him saying, I rebuke you, Satan. The power of Christ compels me. Come out. He's not saying any of that there. Right? Because the enemy was what? Bringing distortions of the word of God. Deception. Twisting scripture. This is where many Christians, you know, stumble and fall all over them. They don't know God's word. So when the word is twisted and distorted and their spiritual deception, they have no clue. They have no idea. But Jesus being the word, knowing the word, said it is written. It is written. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about the armor of God. And the armor of God are all aspects of Christ's work uh, in the life of the believer. All right, It's not really a physical thing you put on. I hope you know that. I was at a church yesterday for a funeral, and I walked around the corner, and they had this lovely display of the armor of God, which looked like something from out of you know, medieval times. And I'm like, that's not the armor of God. The armor of God is what Christ has accomplished for us and done for us. Faith, righteousness, salvation, all of those things. But he comes to the part, and he talks about the sword of the Spirit. And what does he say that is? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Without the word of God, how do we resist? How do we engage in any type of spiritual warfare in our life of which we are always, you know, assailed by? It's like a soldier going out into the arena of warfare without any offensive capabilities. No weaponry with which either to defend himself or to mount an offensive uh, attack. We need God's word. It's what he's given us. So... If nothing else, over the last few weeks, again, blow the dust off of it, open it, take it in, read it, listen to it, put it in your heart. You will know the word of truth and walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. Sixth, God's word works in you to guide you and give you wisdom. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about wisdom through our Proverbs series, and much of that, obviously, we talked about God's word. But the psalmist in Psalm 119, 105 said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is what God's word does to us. It illuminates our path. It allows us to see what's before us. It allows us to interpret and evaluate the world rightly. This is the importance of having a biblical worldview. You can't shape a biblical worldview apart from the knowledge of God through his word. And what God says about the world, we know that through his word. And his word then is like a light illuminating our path, guiding us and leading us, giving us the counsel we need. This is why God's word should never be an afterthought in your decision-making process. You don't come to it after you've evaluated everything from a worldly perspective and logic and reasoning and pros and cons. And No, no, you come to God's word first. What does God's word say? What does God have to say about the matter, the situation? What are the principles of God's word concerning this? And this is where we, we mess up a lot of areas in our life when God's word is an afterthought or not even a thought at all, right? No, we, we need it for, for wisdom. Psalm 19, second part of verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, right? God's word makes us wise. It tells Timothy it makes one wise unto salvation, now, God's word doesn't speak to every single thing that you and I have to do in life. 
doesn't tell us how to do a lot of things. doesn't tell me how to lay tile, how to fix my car, how to apply for a job. But it gives me principles, doesn't it? So I need to know it. It makes us who are simple wise. It gives the ignorant wisdom. We need God's word continually. Jesus said the spirit of God would lead us into all truth and teach us all things and bring to our remembrance everything Jesus said. And for that, you need God's word in you. The spirit will bring all things to your remembrance. I believe that 100%. But there has to be something in you to bring to your remembrance. You can't draw water from an empty well. And it's not going to happen automatically. There are times when I, there's a passage of scripture I probably haven't read in, I don't even know how long. Some obscure reference in the Old Testament or something. But I'm going through a situation, I'm counseling someone, I'm encouraging someone, and boop, that pops up. What is that? That's the Spirit of God bringing His Word to your remembrance. That happens over and over and over again. It happens frequently while I'm preparing to preach and teach scriptures I weren't even thinking about. As I'm, as I'm working and, and preparing and, and processing a passage, all of a sudden, all these other scriptures flood to my mind. Well, where do those come from? Well, there are passages I've studied. There are passages I've read. There's passages I've internalized over the years. And the Spirit of God brings them to my remembrance for a purpose, for a reason. He works that way. Seventh. God's word works in you to comfort and console. Oh, this, this is one of the most beautiful things that God's word does in us, brothers and sisters. How the word of God comforts us when we're going through difficult situations. How it consoles and comforts our heart when we're afflicted, when we're suffering, when we've walked through uh, a painful, dark moment in life. Romans 15.4 Paul writes, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. He's talking about Scripture, right? That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. God's Word gives us encouragement. God's Word brings us hope in in those dark moments in life. We'll walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, right? God's with us, and He's with us through His Word, and His Word comforts us in those moments. Again, David writes in Psalm 119.50, This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. This is my comfort. Where God's word is a balm to the weary, wounded, hurting, crushed, distressed soul. That's what God's word does. Man, I've experienced that so many times in my life. And I know many of you have experienced God's word's comforting word through all of that. Where it uplifts you. It's like it's a word of healing to your life. There's many tears that have been shed as God's word has washed over to comfort and heal a weary and wounded soul. It restores, it revives, which is our eighth point. God's word works in you to refresh you and bring joy to your heart. Psalm 19. Verse 7, the first part, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. In Psalm 19, 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. 
This is a powerful way God's word works in you, brothers and sisters. Life is hard. Your Christian walk, there's nothing easy about it. I'm sorry if you came to faith in Christ with someone's promise that things were going to be really awesome for you on the other side of that. It's not. It's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. You will suffer. You'll be persecuted. You'll be afflicted. Look at what Paul writes. How many times I was stoned. I was whipped. I was afflicted on every side. And, and, and those closest to me betrayed me and turned against me over and over again. Yet he still has joy. He's encouraged in, in the gospel. He's encouraged in the promises of God. He takes comfort in the word of truth. And we do as well. And we need to as well. And you read God's word and it washes over you. And joy fills your heart. Over and over again. I'll sit in my chair in my office. And I'm opening the scriptures. And just either evokes worship, praise, or thanksgiving. I'm happy. Sometimes it breaks me and convicts me. Sometimes it crushes me. God's word is working in me. And ultimately, it's doing the ninth thing here. God's word works in you to give you assurance of eternal life and salvation. Oh, it's one of the most amazing things about the word of God. As I read it over and over again, God fills me with assurance that I am his and that I am in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't let go of me. No matter how dumb I am. (laughs) And you are. I'm not alone in that. First <laughs> John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's so powerful. So many believers doubt their salvation and doubt their assurance of salvation and doubt so many aspects of their walk with God. But if they knew His Word, if they knew His promises... And we knew the, they knew the work of Christ as it's contained in his word. And as his word teaches us, you'll know you have eternal life. And that's not based on you holding on to eternal life. That's not based on you holding on to Christ. It's based on him holding on to you. It's based on his grasp of you. It's based on his complete and finished work, perfect work. To secure salvation for all those who are his. And he said, no one can snatch you out of the father's hand. That's what his word says. And John says, so that you can, I'm writing this so you can know. So you can know. Because the false teachers are going to come to cause you to doubt. And you're going to sin. And you're going to stumble. And you're going to fumble around in your faith. And you're going to doubt. And you're going to walk in uncertainty at times. But you can know. And you can have assurance. That nothing and no one. Can separate you from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's word works. And it works in you. Who believe. It's actively at work in you. Right now, brothers and sisters, to produce everything God intended for it to produce in you. Paul wrote, 
that you can know it's effective in your life because he says when you receive the word of truth. You receive the word of truth. What does it mean to receive? It means to believe it. It means to take it in, to accept it. He says they accepted it as what? As the very words of God. It's to take it into your life, to receive it by faith. As the word of God, not of man. So today I'm going to ask you here, have you received God's word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you received it? Have you believed it? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you? Because that's the starting point. It's the starting point of God's word beginning to work in your life. To produce faith, to change you, to transform you, to conform you to Jesus. To receive it also carries with it the implication that you're going to put it into practice. Which we talked about last week. We're going to not just be hearers of the word, we're going to be doers of the word as well. And God's word carries with it the promise of accomplishing all that God determined for it to do. The beginning of the series, I said that one of the reasons uh, why many don't devote the time to studying God's word and, 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 and reading his word and meditating upon it and loving it is because there's a lack of conviction. And that lack of conviction was centered around the fact that many don't believe that God's word has the power to transform their life and affections and conform them to Jesus. And, and, and I pray through this series that has changed for you brothers and sisters. Because God said his word can do what he said it can do. His word will do exactly what he said his word is supposed to do. God's word is doing that right now. Actively operating and effectually working in you who believe. So read it. Feast on his word. Study it. Memorize it. Ingest it. Digest it. Treasure it. Value it above anything else in life, brothers and sisters. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that as you do, you will grow in your love for the word of God. And it will become the joy and delight of your heart and my heart.